Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast because I truly believe everyone in the world will be faced with a situation, it could be business, could be personal, that requires you to create change. I believe we all want to be heard, seen, and understood, but the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us, they're not always salespeople. There are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm gonna share their stories here so we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately, we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, gang, uh, this is somebody that I have had on my list for a long time. I was joking that, you know, our orbits were, were you know, kind of like uh, just planets, you know, kind of circling each other for a long, long time. And now we finally get to kind of come together and, and create a nice little constellation uh, for, for everyone on the call today. This is uh, someone who for 20 years, she's been telling uh, work-life stories and building groundbreaking solutions to, to drive better employment experiences. Uh, increase retention rates and improve job satisfaction. She's a former human resources leader uh, turned writer. She's an entrepreneur, speaker, CNN even recognized her as one of the top five career advisors in the United States. Um, you know, she, you can find her on NPR, New Yorker, the New Yorker, USA Today, the Wall Street Journal and Vox. Uh, she's, uh, you'll find her uh, keynoting speeches in person now uh, in business and management uh, events. And you can also find her on a popular podcast called Punk Rock HR. And, uh, you know, she lives in Raleigh with her husband and her cats. Maybe we'll talk about some, some cats today. Um, please welcome none other than Lori Rudiman to the podcast. Welcome, Lori. Thank you. That was a big introduction. I sound insufferable. I promise I'm only slightly insufferable. Um, but yeah, I've been around for a while. And so I've got, you know, some bona fides, some chops to talk about the world of work and sometimes how terrible it is. Yeah. So thanks for having me. I, um, you know, can't thank you enough. Like you, you deserve all the chops. So you probably have an even longer bio. I'm sure lots more since that was written uh, accomplishments. But, you know, I just I love, you know, how you talk about it, because I, you, you, I, I, I get the sense out of reading everything that you put out there that you have this like love hate relationship with work, maybe and and mostly love. And you said it like not maybe not even the word hate is the right word, but it's like, you know, you you, you talk about fixing work or that life, the work is broken, the workplace is broken. You love to you love to work, but the workplace itself um, a lot uh, is broken with it. And this book, um, Betting on on You, there's just so much in it about just great funny stories that we can all relate to. And you write, like um, I, I say, like just uh, uh, someone I'm, I'm like, you know, uh, just laying up to against the, at the bar, like sitting up against the bar at a conference. Uh, I feel like I'm at a Sherm conference, just like shooting it with, you know, the, the, the HR person, the, anybody. Um, but then also like come with uh, a, a real great just expertise and background in HR and just, I love your writing style. I love how you, you know, kind of weave in your personal story, but just, you know, leave me with so many great nuggets. So I, I just have to compliment you on that, oh, how you, you communicate and write. And, um, <laughs> and I, I, I'm sure talk, you're going to hear it today, folks, that's they're listening. So you can't, you can't, you know, I, you're, you're listening to someone who, you know, before getting into HR, you know, you'll read this in the book, but you can probably give me more color to this, Lori. But I just love a story of anyone that, you know, shows up to work um, first day in HR, 
you know, shaved head, ear piercings, eyebrow, maybe, I don't know, eyebrow yeah, piercings, all of it, tattoos, um, all, yeah. tattoos, combat boots, and, you know, maybe taking, we can, you know, you can kind of picture who that person is to, um, you know, not much has changed maybe inside about who you are. Maybe, maybe some things have a lot's changed inside, but your character, how you are, I, I, I just loved how you said you, you know, you started, you know, you got into this, like, you didn't even know what it was. HR, but you started, you know, kind of, you were the person people could talk to. You're the person that didn't mind, you know, doing, you know, faxes and memos, but people listened to you and you could, you knew stories, you knew stories of people, um, you know, uh, intrigue or, um, you know, office gossip, let's say uh, you were, you were at the center of all that. So, um, so you have all that background and who you are today. So, um, it's, you know, it's you're the complete a, package, really. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that, but it's been a crazy <laughs> journey. And I will tell everybody out there, I'm 47 years old, and it's my 30th high school reunion this summer. And they're doing it a little bit late. It's going to be in a couple of weeks. And I'm like on the fence about going. You know, it's it's weird. I haven't been to one. But the invite came through, and I'm on the cover of the high school reunion webpage uh, uh, in like a 1990s <laughs> getup with a hat. Like, I don't know, hats yes. were like a thing and combat yes. boots and some yes. fishnet tights, you know? And I think about the girl, I've been doing this all week since I saw this. Like I'm thinking about the girl that I was then versus the woman that I am today. I can't help but think about that, right? And ultimately I am the same exact person. I mean, maybe I have a little bit more money and I'm wiser, but my, my values are the same. If anything, I'm like a little angrier at the world, you know? And I really, when I was 17 years old, I really had this sense of injustice and really needing to push against the world to make space for those who couldn't make a space for themselves. And I still feel that way, whether it's people at work who are phenomenally good people, but for whatever reason, can't make it in this hierarchical, weird capitalistic system that we have, or animals that are just thrown to the wayside, or human beings who are just not valued in our society because they're neurodivergent, or they have a learning disability, or, or a physical disability. For me, it's just really important to always fight for people who can't fight for themselves, because you know they're but for the grace of God go I. So I see that woman 30 years ago, that young woman. And um, a lot of people look back at high school and have weird memories or they get hung up. And I'm like, no, she was okay. You know? like, yeah. <laughs> like she was dumb in a lot of ways, but she was okay. Yeah. I love it. I would, I would, I would definitely encourage you. Like, I, I can't say I haven't been to one either. Like um, maybe just a five-year one, but like I'm getting up there too. And you know, that 25, that year, like where so much of life happens sure. is really like, kind of like, like, are people the same? Is that jock the same as the cheerleader no. Are like some are, are there still at, are they still, is the asshole in high school still the asshole now? Right, right, some, right. some, some may have changed. Um, I just keep, I can't think of them as any other than the, the Billy, the jock or, you know, Susie, the, you know, um, the, 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 the cheerleader, you know, but now they're like, you know, all sorts of different things. Yeah. They're parents, caregivers. So. Right. Well, yeah. you know, when I took that picture or when that picture was taken of me, I was 17 years old. And then within a couple of years, like three years, I had found an internship in human resources. So 
it's like, what the heck? I mean, I entered adulthood hard and fast. I had to pay my own way through college. I was the first one in my family to go to university. Like it was a big deal, but it's not like anybody could give me any advice or money. And so I had to learn things the hard way. And I went to my school and said, boy, college is expensive. I really can't afford to be here anymore. And they're like, nope, keep taking out more student loans. And by the way, we're going to get you a real job, not in English and not in writing, but in the world of business and take this internship in an HR department and just see things, see sales, see marketing, see manufacturing, procurement. Maybe you'll find your calling. And within a couple of weeks, I knew my calling was people and their stories. So yeah, that's how it all kind of got started. And boy, imagine if they had stuck me in like a floral shop or something. That would have gone a whole bunch of different ways. <laughs> I could have been uh, a florist. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, you could have been a lot of things, I'm yeah. sure. But I'm glad you picked where you picked. So I always ask, Lori, the people these questions uh, in the beginning of, of our conversations. And I'm, I'm curious to see where you've taken this. Because I do feel like, you know, from an early age, maybe, yeah, in high school, you're saying like you were this girl that maybe it didn't, maybe you look like a lot of um, people that you went to, 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 to high school with. I'm not sure what your high school was like, but I'm, I'm guessing like that you didn't try to fit in, you know, oh, um, in, in any ways um, with, with what you're telling me you look like, I could not but you were still, in, yeah. <laughs> you could not fit in and didn't, nor didn't want to, but then that also, I feel like helps you see people that, 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 you know, maybe get knocked for, for, um, you know, that, 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 uh, try hard to fit in and, um, you know, they don't get there or the people that are fitting in, uh, or thinking they're fitting in and, and, um, they're still like hurting inside. So like you, you could kind of see that you, maybe you could kind of see people that way. So my question I usually ask people, Lori, in the beginning is like, when I hear, when you hear the term, like I said it in the beginning of the podcast and the name of the podcast is what it is. And when I say this term, like, uh, the, just the phrase, like, like sell something and to sell by being human. Um, what does that conjure up for, for you? And what does that conjured up for you made you think about maybe in your own career and in, in human resources? Well, very early on, I learned that in order to make any money in this world, you have to solve problems. So right away, what does, what does sales do? Sales solves a problem, right? And so I never had this natural antithesis to sales. I was never afraid of it or intimidated by it because I thought if I was doing good in the world and if I were solving a problem, people would pay me for it, right? In fact, I felt entitled to it in being very human and getting money for my humanness. And I think that benefited me working in the world of human resources, because you're always selling like a new idea, a different approach, a different plan, a different concept, a different way to negotiate. And then as a creator, which is essentially what I've become, writing, speaking, investing, I just kind of lean into that humanness and talk. And if people like it and they see a vision along with a little bit of a business plan, right, they'll, they'll come on board. And if they don't, they don't, but I don't try to take it too personally. And I also don't look at it as this really transactional experience either, because it's not, it's about making that connection person to person. I don't know. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I always say like, you know, if you can, um, at, you know, as someone who does it every day, like I'm not thinking about like, um, you know, like selling in that I have to um, solve your problem either, or actually have to, you know, I have, uh, you know, you have a problem that I can solve. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, like 
I'm, 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 I'm understanding as much as I can about you to really uncover a problem together to see if one exists and then we work on it together. And if, and if people feel like you're like, you know, invested, like you're a team, you're co-creating yes. something like, it's not like, Hey, he's pushing this on me. It's about uh, Lori. It's about him. It's about your business. It's about what I'm, uh, it's a product. Like you said, it's, it's all, you know, yeah. At the heart of selling, I, you know, it's, it's, it's finding a problem. And I think I've heard like um, Adam Grant and other people say something around, you know, an understanding strategy can be, you know, your sales strategy. And so that's what I think about. I, 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 I always think when I hear like you on, on your podcast and things you put out, it's, it's very much like even your, the name of the punk rock HR, people be like, what? That's like kind of the anticipation. Isn't HR supposed to be buttoned up and yeah, like, yeah. really like, um, they're supposed to be like the, you know, the, the compliance department and what not to do. And like, but, um, but it's like, I'm going to put out into the world what I believe. And, you know, if that resonates great, like, I, I love how you asked that question. Like, does that resonate with you? Because you're trying to really, uh, again, un- see if that person understands and maybe you get to a place differently, but it's not about your point of view. Um, it's not about you believing my point of view or not. It's about, this is what I believe. And if you believe it, great. And if not, that's okay too. But that doesn't prevent me from, you know, kind of um, sharing it and really? then finding out how how that um, I, I love the word how that resonates with you or how that lands with you or like what does that conjure up to you and I, I'm sure you ask similar questions when you uh, deal with like your uh, you know consulting clients I, I've read it you know how how you coach clients and things like that so I don't know what you think about what what I just said there. I've just been thinking as you were speaking about who are some of the great people who have taught me how to sell in this world? Like, you know, who's, who's really influenced me. And I write about him in the book. There's a gentleman in my life by the name of Don McPherson. And he founded a company called Modern Survey. And Modern Survey was acquired by Aon. Like this is old history in our industry, in my HR little tech industry. But um, one of the things I love about Don is that he had a vision. He understood that together, you know, he was helping his clients solve problems, right? Discover obstacles, do all of the great things you just elaborated on. But he also knew human psychology, And he wasn't afraid to kind of lean into that. And I think that's the most interesting thing. Like a lot of people don't want to feel tricked, but if you know human psychology, you can actually kind of cut to the chase in a lot of ways and help people get to a sense of understanding a little bit faster. And so, you know, he told me not to be afraid of doing the important things that you need to do in order to, you know, build an audience, build relationships, like offering webinars and having conversations, right. And having regular sales calls and you know, when you're younger, you think, oh, that's that can feel a little, you know, used car salesy and there's a process and it's Glengarry Glen Ross. And it's not. It's just about understanding the way the brain works to make sure you get to a place where you feel a relationship with someone. So I don't know. I mean, that's a real kind of weird, opaque way of describing what Don and I did together. But, you know, through instruction and just through watching what he did, I learned a ton. And I just I think I learned how to be a better person person in the process. So Don McPherson is just, um, he's great. So if anybody wants to look him up, he's on LinkedIn and they should connect with him. Yeah. So let me, I I would love to hear more stories about people like, like Don. So, you know, I always try to find out like, you've had, 
this awesome career in HR and like working for some big companies and with different departments. So you see how different, I, I mean, I just think HR uh, as opposed to any other department, you just understand the psychology of people. You have to almost better than anyone because you just deal with so many different types of people, different department heads, different managers, different like levels of employee, the like starting out in their career versus the tenured employee, the executive, the 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 ones that hate their job, you know, just maybe, you know, maybe there's more, you, you were saying 50 some percent, 50% of us yeah. are disengaged. Yeah, over uh, that 17%, yeah. yeah, probably over 17% were actively disengaged. Like That's they're right. just trying to burn the place down at all costs, <laughs> right. you know? Well, I think I think there are different types of people in corporations, and I've been blessed to be able to see all these different people, right? So I've done HR for IT and finance and lawyers, but the two hardest groups that I've ever done HR for are people who worked in the Pfizer aviation department. So we had a group of uh, flight attendants, line workers, maintenance people, helicopter pilots, Gulfstream pilots, and they come with this like, command and control sensibility in a corporation that's trying to be innovative and is run by a bunch of science nerds. So that was definitely different. And I also did HR for HR and those people are just angry. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and, and by the way, I mean, when you do HR for HR, they expect you to be like ultra HR and you can't have any personality. And I have cats running around behind me, right? Like I just live my life as it is. And they were like, no, all business. So HR for HR was absolutely difficult, but you know, I learned, I learned through the experience. Yeah. So what are some people, like we kind of talked before the podcast, like what are some people that you kind of can think about, like think back to your career, like, you know, all throughout the people that were just like, they got stuff done, people gravitated to them. You know, we've heard, I've heard the term like, I'm, oh, those are, they're people she's a, she or he's a people person or, you know, like they get influence and maybe they don't even have high titles. They could even be like low level people, but you know, they got ideas passed through faster. They, um, maybe grew team. They, they, um, you know, built friends quicker. They, um, maybe moved into management faster. Um, you know, people listened to them and they had a sense to them. So I'm curious to, you know, uh, people like, like a Don, can you think of those t- oh, yeah. types of people, who they were, and what were they doing, you think, that was really key in getting people to listen to them and that other people maybe struggle with that you've seen in your career? Well, I worked at a company called Alberto Culver that was acquired by Unilever, and they made such wonderful products as Alberto VO5 and Tresemme and St. Ives, like all old-timey products, you know. But they also, it's weird because they made shampoo, but they also made Molly McButter and Mrs. Dash, which are like these fake food (laughs) products, you know, and Static Guard. So I was hiring for all of these random different roles, and I worked a lot with the head of customer service for Alberto Culver, and it was customer service for Walmart, customer service for, you know, all the different dollar generals where the products would go. And he just had this really, again, I mean, life is sales, right? He had this beautiful way of listening and really demonstrating empathy. And whether he was talking to, you know, the head of some retail line at Walmart, a very important person, or talking to the CEO of the company, you can tell he was really hearing, really paying attention. He was doing that active listening that so often we just we speak to, but we don't do. And so Steve Carraway was his name, was a really great person that I could just watch and learn from that sense of empathy and being present in a conversation was like an early instructive moment for me. 
Yeah. Was he like, uh, you know, how I've seen it done? Like, I always, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated about like empathy because, like, it's a trendy thing to talk about. Yeah, it is. Totally. It's so trendy. Yeah. Um, um, I heard Brene Brown put it like uh, recently in um, Atlas of the Heart. She was saying empathy isn't, you know, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. It's um, actually like keeping them in their shoes and, and just believing something like believing their story of how it is, even if it differs very greatly from your own. Yeah. Especially when you work in customer service, right? You have a perspective on what your organization did and maybe Walmart thinks you didn't quite do so well. So how do you deal with someone who's irate and irritated and how do you make sure it doesn't continue to escalate while being respectful and just not making up a bunch of lies, right? And saying, oh, come on, it didn't happen that way or we're on it. Like nobody wants to hear I'm on it, you know? And so what Steve did was just ask really good questions, like to really get to the heart of what was going on but he listened, he gave someone the space to communicate and to talk. And I think to your point, to Brene Brown's point, allowing someone to just express what they're feeling in the moment, whether it's good, bad, whatever, is so important and we don't do it enough. We still don't do it enough, even though empathy is trendy. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, I just, some of the stories you were kind of sharing um, in your book, you know, you're kind of holding space for people, just asking them, like they come to you with these like, I, I'm sure people come to you and like, I know what my problem is. Help me fix it. I'm, I'm super stressed out. I'm burned out. Lori, I need you to help me. I think one story is like, fix this in six months or, or six weeks or something. I don't know what it was, but it was the story of this person that just wanted a, almost like a doctor, a quick pill to take or something. And you had to step back and just ask these really great questions. Like why, what is the purpose of your work and what, um, you know, what do you get out of it? Yes, that's right. Why do you do what you do? Yeah. What does it pay for? Yeah. Yeah. What does it pay for? And and just asking and and getting people to talk stuff out and, and you being, you know, not judgy, you're just, um, you know, holding a space for them to, to ask. And like you said, listen, um, you know, that's what I got kind of like, I, I, I feel that when you kind of, I, you know, if I were to come to kind of, you know, get consulting, that's what you're doing. You're just kind of, you know, um, just asking people a broad question to get more information out of them. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Uh, you know, people will come to me all the time and say, uh, so in fact, I'm working with someone right now who's like, I need some coaching and I've got the next four weeks to do it. And like, you can't do anything in four weeks, you know, like you can't even like, you can't, you can't buy a car in four weeks, you know, like it, things are complicated these days. So I, I took it on. I'm like, all right, we got four weeks. So let's see what we can do. But I think within that four weeks, he's slowly starting to understand these are like existential questions, like all good co coaching and consulting just is really a framework of asking questions, right? And then figuring out like how you're going to implement change and all of that. That's like the easy part. The hard part is sitting down and figuring out how did we get here? And I talk about that in my book consistently, like how did we get here? How is it, for example, from a random HR story, how is it that everyone in the organization can get to work on time, but you can't? And normally someone will say, well, I slept late or my kids or blah, 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 but it's normally a bigger story, right? There's other things going on in the world. So whenever there's, for example, an attendance issue with an employee, like you got to get past that superficial stuff and you can't blame and judge when you start to ask real questions about daycare, process, eating, going to bed, like all of these things, you often uncover trauma or, you know, childcare issues or just d depression is a common thing why people don't show up for work on time. But if you just come at it 
in a really programmatic and mean way, you, you don't even solve it. You end up firing that person when you could work with them and save a potentially really great worker. So it's really about like peeling back the onion, you know? Yeah, you did one, you great. Um, I just like the story that you shared about the <laughs> the ass bag story. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there was a woman who was working and working hard and working for a jerk of a boss, but she wasn't making friends at all. And the boss was a jerk to her one day and she sent out an email to colleagues whom she thought were her friends and called her boss an ass bag. And her colleagues flipped on her, right? Her colleagues are like, oh, she's dead to me. How can you say that? That's so unprofessional, even though they all hated that guy, but they sold her out. And so I get this like emergent call at like a really weird hour. Oh, you gotta, gotta come down. It was in St. Louis. Gotta come down to St. Louis and we've gotta fire her for using the word ass bag. And so I had to peel back that onion. Like, okay, should I show up at her <laughs> what house? What is an aspect? Yeah, right. Yeah, what is an aspect, first of all? And do I show up at her house? And do we do we perp walk her out of the building in the morning? Like, what is it we're going to do? And also, if we fire her for saying ass bag, who else do we have to fire in this organization, you know? So you start to have those kinds of conversations. They get very human after a while. But it turns out this woman was a great worker, but not making any friends. And she couldn't build a consensus around this guy being an ass bag and she got nailed for it. And so what we did, we put her on a PIP, of course, that's HR 101. So she's on a performance improvement plan, but we gave her a mentor and I had to fight to get her a mentor, but someone who knew the world of work, someone who had been there, had worked with a lot of ass bags, you know, herself and could talk about like anger management and being a woman in the workplace. And sometimes you just need a friend. And so that's what we gave her a friend. And not only did she pass that performance improvement plan, she got promoted like multiple times before she left. So I'm very proud of that story, not because of what I did, but because of what the organization allowed all of us to do, which is take a breath, figure out what was really going on and invest in someone we normally would have just fired. Like, why would you fire someone for saying the word ass bag? I know, inappropriate, weird also, weird choice, but <laughs> sometimes people are very human. That's all, you know? Yeah, I, I love that story. So, you know, and I learned what, you know, uh, you know, why an ass bag, you know, I've learned <laughs> many different words. For, well, right. You know, I mean, I, I thought she was talking about that bag that collects horse poop <laughs> on like carriage rides right. and yeah. like, yeah. Uh, you know, and my, my brother who's had colon cancer did not find it funny because he's like, she's talking about a colostomy bag. And I'm like, no, she's not like, it's a thing. Like people like argue about it, but it was her word choice, not mine. So, yeah. So it, you're actually making me think like HR in a lot of ways, and I bet you've met people like they're some of the maybe best salespeople at a company. If you're fighting for like things like a mentor and things like that are like, it's just like, why do we waste time on this one employment where we can just, you know, hire someone else quickly and it's no big deal. We don't want, they're not living up to our values on the wall. Yeah, we right. can't have people like that. And you're literally selling people um, a lot of times, like what you're selling maybe comes square in the face of a value of a company. And that's a hard fight to win, especially when uh, in your book, you also like this made me cringe when you're sitting next to a guy on an airplane and he's like, you know, can we just agree like, you know, HR, why does HR suck? You know, you know, can you, can you, you know, not no, no offense. Yeah. No offense. Um, and, that's my yeah. favorite thing. Like, no offense. But it's yeah. like, you know, HR has this stigma or something as being like, not profit driven or not like, you know, revenue centered. And 
uh, you know, just a necessary evil. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I hate that because I love, you know, um, I, I've worked with HR folks for the last 10 uh, plus years and I like some of the greatest people I've met. And, you know, yes, I've seen some deficiencies, but like I see so much potential for people that are in this role and like what like the the hope is and what the out end outcomes can be. So talk to me a little bit about like, you know, what you've had to, you know, sell to upper management and, you know, kind of what, you know, tactics that are effective for, you know, that, you know, that next Lori that's in a similar position, that's just having a tough time getting a budget approved or a person not fired or whatever, you know, you name it, insert the blank. Um, you know, the approaches that, you know, you found effective, or maybe your, you know, your, your um, colleagues or other counterparts in HR have uh, found effective when they're selling things to, you know, executives. Well, you know, the first thing I often have to sell is myself, right? Because what I'll hear is HR sucks. It's terrible. And the, like the only response to that is everything is terrible. Everybody sucks. Right. And the more honest I am, the more self-deprecating, the funnier I am, it makes people look at themselves in the mirror and say, yeah, that was a really inappropriate thing for me to say, or yeah, I suck too, or ha ha ha, she's funny, I'm going to continue the conversation, right? So first of all, like having a bit of a sense of humor, but also calling people to account for what they say is really important to me. And I talk about that in the book. It's like, how dare you talk to me like that? You don't know me, you know? And so yeah, HR sucks, but tell me someone in procurement who hasn't sucked lately, you know, like it's a terrible department or someone in customer service, right? You know, there's like a million things that go wrong in a company who shows up every day. Great. And so why are you holding HR to this level of accountability that you don't hold, you know, the people on your manufacturing line to? So, you know, I start there, I give people shit back when they give it to me. And I think that's been an effective yeah. <laughs> tool for me in that way. That is a skill. I like that. I, I think the other thing that's really interesting is they, Brene Brown talks about how guilt and shame don't motivate people. But when it comes to really important issues like diversity, inclusion, equity, accessibility, belonging, I'm not a fan of advocating for guilt and shame, but I am a fan of, hey, let's look at the numbers and let's hold some people accountable. And you only get to that conversation when you've built a relationship, right? When you've had the moments where you can make fun of someone or you've been made fun of and it's not that big of a deal, right? But really talking to someone honestly and consistently about the numbers, especially around those important issues. And I will get pushback from executives all the time who are like, well, that's what I hire great HR people to do to help increase you know, diversity numbers or increase engagement, right? But HR isn't there for that. HR is there to really implement and instill programs. But the delivery of all of this, the means with which people feel engaged in an organization is through that executive leadership team. So having that conversation requires a lot of relationship building and trust, and it also requires a lot of data. And so I've done that throughout my career. Emerging HR leaders are starting to do that more and more, but um, I'm not above guilt and shame at all. Like like when you look at pay equity numbers and they're terrible, sometimes all you can do is look the CEO in the face and say, what are you doing here? You know, this is abysmal. This is terrible. Like, can we all agree on this? Right. And I think that's important in that moment. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, wow. I, I like that, that I, I'm sure a lot of people are kind of shaking, like Lori, I can't go to my CEO or terrible, VP yeah. and say, you know, 
can this is ridiculous or mm-hmm. um, and we need to I, bring I, in an expert I, I need, to deal with yeah, this right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. this no. is abysmal like that word like really like hit them straight with a like a shocking like jolt of like but they Alex, may not even realize but they, you know, they can't ahead. do that because they haven't built yeah. relationships because they don't believe in themselves as an equal right because they um hear the criticism of hr and they take it too seriously they feel individually attacked Whereas I know I'm more than the work I do. My worth is not tied to my work. And so when you know that, it gives you a little bit of a benefit in the negotiation process when someone is really breathing down your neck and saying, this is not what I want. I don't believe in this. I can't possibly find the resources to bring in an expert to help us deal with this in the organization. If you start to take some of that personally, you're going to cave. You're not going to be able to sell them on an idea. So when I hear the criticisms around HR... I don't, I don't take it personally at all, at all, at all. And I think that gives me a little bit of an edge. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, uh, you, know, you put out a post on LinkedIn and I, you know, I could save it and just put it on my wall. Like your work, your work is not your worth. Your, your work, work is not, is your, not worth. your worth. And yeah. it is so true because I feel like, you know, um, when I've seen pe- so many in, in my, my, myself, um, it's like, you know, yes, like I, 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 I'm looking to get to this promotion or to this level. And like, I, I need respect and to get respect, I need to be in this certain job title or manager and like, or I, I need to be performing well. And then like some, the, the, the story that I tell myself is like, well, once my numbers are higher, or oh, once yeah. I do X, Y, Z, or, you know, I can show, demonstrate all these projects completions. Then I have all this like capital and, and then I can ask for something, but then I ask and I still don't get it, you know? So it's like, you know, when you remove all that, you, you just need to come correct with you. Like I'm, uh, you know, there are no titles. We're all people. We're all working towards the same goal. And, 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 you know, you don't have to be disrespectful, but you can certainly, um, be firm and you can be confident in knowing that like, you know, and actually executive, I, well, I don't know. You tell me when you've set talk like that to executives, which I'm sure six times in my life, but yeah, many (laughs) times in your career, do you find it you almost get respect? I mean, maybe I'm sorry, sure. Some like screw you, Laura. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, but, uh, I get a lot of like, oh, that's cute. You're so cute. You know, like pat me on the head. You know, because I'm four foot eleven and a half. You know? <laughs> so, but um, I don't. I think in certain environments, speaking truth to power and being direct and candid earns you bonus respect. Points. Yeah, does. absolutely. But again, if you know that your self worth and your respect is in the relationships you have outside of work and in your really great, you know, family relationships or in your community or in your church or your synagogue or whatever you believe in, you have a lot in your life. Then if you don't quite get what you need at work, it doesn't wound your soul as much. You know, over the years, um, I've worked on and off with a colleague of mine by the name of Josh Schwady. And Josh has been a leader at Hireview and, and a bunch of other companies in the HR tech industry, Cornerstone On Demand. And now he's doing his own thing at this company called Spotlife. And Josh is a very serious leader and he's a very serious CEO and he's got a vision, but he's also a dad. He's also a husband. He's also a brother, a son. And it's his mission to make sure he's got all of those parts in his life. And of course, at some points, he's more CEO than he is dad. 
but he works really hard intentionally, very intentionally on making sure that there's some, you know, like balance in his life. And, and it takes work. And that's currently what his project is all about right now, the software that he's working on. But for me, just watching that and watching his honesty around all of that has been really inspiring. So when Josh is CEO, he's definitely CEO and he's taken that job very seriously. But then also you can speak to him parent to parent, colleague to colleague. And I don't know, it's been a good lesson in understanding how to deal with people at the executive level. So yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, talk to me a little bit about like your business today. Like some of the things that you find yourself. Um, I mean, you're an author, you're doing a lot of things. You're an entrepreneur, you're doing some coaching, consulting with businesses. What are some things that you find yourself doing now that you would, you might consider, like, I don't know what you do on a daily basis that, um, you know, might be considered like gaining influence and things like that in your approach. But I'm curious to know kind of, you know, how you view it. Um, you know, I'm sure you have to get, um, you know, you had to get a book deal, you know, you had to, um, you know, get new clients to work with and, and kind of that approach to, to, is it just all like inbound people coming to you or just, you know, walk me through a little of, you know, maybe the instances maybe right now and what you're doing today that um, might be considered like needing to gain influence and in, in what that looks like. Yeah. Well, you know, before COVID, I was on the road 44 weeks a year, whether it was speaking and not the entire week, right? But maybe a day or two here or three days there. But I would do these HR transformation engagements. You know, I would consult with HR tech companies. I would speak at conferences. I would speak outside of the world of human resources. I was coaching. I was just working a lot, right? Plus getting ready to launch a book and to do all that work. And since COVID, I've really tried to refine my business and focus on what adds value to my life, where I think I can contribute and what I think I'm really good at. So now I turn down HR consulting gigs. I no longer do transformation, but I send them places to colleagues that I know will do an amazing job. And so I still get these inbound inquiries right around, do you do this? Are you still consulting? I've minimized my coaching and I've raised my prices on that to make sure that I'm coaching the people who I want to coach, when I want to coach, and I think are really invested in their own personal transformation, which means I can't do 10 people. I can't really do six people anymore. I can coach like four people a month at any given point. And if they're on a 10 week program staggered, you know, I'm getting some new faces in from time to time, but I've really tried to shrink my offerings, but raise my prices. And I have raised my keynote fee because I just, I, I can't be everywhere anymore, you know, and I want to go to the places that want to hear about the future of work and the future of worth, right. In a different way. And so shrinking those services and raising prices. It's almost like I have an MBA, you know, like why did it take me so many years to do this? But having done that, I feel like the inbound inquiries that I get are actually a little bit better. And also I've got a great referral network now that I can share, you know, opportunities with, and they share opportunities with me. So no Google ads, no Facebook ads, nothing like that. I'm just leaning, leaning in. And I've got 20 years of, you know, content out there. So it's awesome. So, and I imagine like nothing really drastically changed about kind of that model. Maybe it even improved, like at least your, you know, well-being at least yeah, improved, absolutely. you know, absolutely. I'm feeling better. You know, I'm home more often. My life is, I mean, during COVID, I wasn't going to go anywhere anyway, but the, the one thing people 
did a lot of at the beginning of the pandemic was do all of these Zooms, right? We're going to do a Zoom happy hour. We're going to do a webinar. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I actually shrank my presence because I wanted it to be more valuable. And I'm glad I did that. Nobody ever asked me to do anything for free anymore. And I'm so grateful. <laughs> I like say no. You know, I have a hard time saying no. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now people understand that I'm running a business and I'm trying to provide value. And there's got to be some sort of exchange. Yeah. So, um, you know, I kind of uh, just ending off, like, tell me, I've always just the burning questions, like, um, and, you know, pick up the book to kind of walk through kind of a way to transform your career. But I'm curious, like for the people that, that guy sitting next to you in the, you know, air uh, on the airplane or, you know, people that may think that, you know, HR, um, I don't know, they don't, they haven't seen kind of the potential or, you know, kind of what it can truly be like, and even I'll even out my wife, my wife is like, Oh, you know, you work with HR, but that's not like, you know, like they're not real. Yeah. yeah, That's not a real department or whatever. And I'm I'm like, I fight with her. I'm like, you know, that's, I love, this is, these are my people. Tell me why, (laughs) tell me why it, it, it is so important and why like the future of, of work, like you say, is so important and why uh, HR really is something that matters and should matter for CEOs and executives. Yeah. Well, I have two answers. The first is I'm not here to prove the value of human resources. If you don't see it and that's your attitude, we're never, we're never going to agree on anything. And I think it's um, especially post COVID when human resources professionals worked so hard night and day to stand up work from home programs, right? And to make sure benefits were correct and all of that, make sure people still got paid. Um, when people do come to me and make fun of human resources, I'm like, no, only I can make fun of HR, you know, because <laughs> you don't get to do that. And so I, I don't have a lot of tolerance for that anymore. And I think it's disrespectful. And I let people know. Um, but if we're having a couple of drinks and they're just joking around, like, and what's the future of HR? I think it's full of potential. I think automation and digitization benefit human resources. It takes away some of the stuff nobody liked doing anyway, nobody enjoyed doing anyway, and allows us to be coaches. It allows us to be consultants. It allows us to dream bigger. And that's what I want for the future of human resources. Because if we dream bigger in HR, it has positive downstream effects for the entire organization. If we see ourselves as employees and say, I want that, I want better career pathing. I want a better opportunity to think through my goals, not just my work goals, but my life goals. I want to put my life first, but also work with integrity we start to think about our enterprises differently. We start to advocate for different things. And so I'm all for giving space to HR professionals to dream and to dream big. I think, I think it's tremendous. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, you're making me think because, you know, I'm working for an organization that really is centered around creating experiences for people to take control of their learning and development and, and organizing and making learning and development um, you know, not feel like I have to do this. It's punitive, but like, I get to do this. Like yeah. you said, I, I want to go beyond, you know, just, you know, required learnings. Like wh- why can't people learn about like life things or, you why know, not? things outside yeah. you know, if we are really truly prioritizing people and, you know, the whole adage, people are greatest asset. Like 
why can't we, and, and we spend more of our lives at work nowadays, a lot of times than even our personal lives. Like, why can't we create an, you know, uh, an, or, uh, a place where people, you know, feel like, you know, they're getting value out of that and then it's beneficial and it's useful and it's fun. Like learning can be fun. Like when you maybe learning don't feel like you're doing, you know, yeah. when you're, when, when you don't even feel like you're doing like this conversation, I'm learning with you, you know, and, and people can do that, but like for the longest time, it hasn't been that because, you know, it's, it's come from the organization on what you should learn, not like people taking uh, control over it or, you know, organizations fostering a place for, for that kind of learning to, to take shape or to develop. Well, Alex, you're speaking to the choir here. Or let yeah. me say this again, you're preaching yeah. to the choir. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. getting late, but yes. I, I really feel you're right because when you're learning, you're growing and when you're growing, yeah. you're thriving. And what's the point of life if not to thrive? So even in some small way, when people are bored and sad at work, I encourage them to go on a learning journey, just, you know, 10 minutes a day, five minutes a day, go watch a Ted talk, go, you know, get off TikTok, at least animal TikTok and go to like something productive on TikTok, right? Whatever it is you want to do. How many of us remember why the sky is blue? None of us remember that, right? Well, go learn that today. Go look at the Wikipedia page, right? There are a million things we can do just to kind of use the different aspects of our brain in a more fun and interesting way. And again, if you're learning and thriving, it's going to absolutely make you feel a little bit better about work. So yeah, I believe in learning. Yeah. As we end off, I want to kind of um, ask you, what would you hope, you know, kind of um, people were going to like, just I'm anyone at a company, like something that they could do today or tomorrow to kind of, you know, grow relationships with their colleagues, be better connected to the people, uh, you know, that work alongside them, maybe their boss, um, you know, certain things that, again, like I, I know, like just in talking with you, you're someone that was able to do it successfully in their career, but you've also been around people. You, you just, you, you mentioned a few of them on the, the conversation today, but what would you challenge people to do? Maybe, you know, after this, that they could kind of do, you know, to just to get people to go, wow, they're actually, I, I, I enjoy working with this person. Like they're just, <laughs> they make me feel better when I'm talking to, you know, Lori on yeah. a Zoom or in a meeting or just, you know, working around the water cooler or whatever it is. I don't know if we still have water coolers. We but, yeah. Well, we don't yeah. probably. <laughs> well, you know, I really feel that there's this old saying that has always resonated with me and it's what gets scheduled gets done. Michael Hyatt mm. said that. And if we really want better relationships with people, we've got to schedule it. We've got to be intentional. Okay. So yeah. this is something I suggest to people who are curious about like their own mobility, right? Can I grow in a company? I don't know where to go. It's like, well, why don't you go make a friend in another department? Or why don't you, instead of bumping into that person consistently at the coffee machine, the old Keurig machine, say, why don't we go get coffee, right? There are a million different ways to form connections, but find a way to do it and schedule it on your calendar because it won't get done otherwise. Yeah, I like it. Well said. Lastly, as we end off, I could talk to you forever, Lori. Um, I, I, since it's story, stories of selling human, I always want to get a good story about every guest that I have on. I feel like you're going to give me something good here. So everyone's unique. We connect over these great stories and I think people are drawn to us over them. So if I asked you, you know, if I asked your husband, maybe your closest friends, 
um, you know, what is something that is so totally Lori that would only happen to you? It could only and would only happen to you. Maybe it's an event, something uh, quirky that you do or a story that would only and could only happen to you. That's just so totally you. What would what would they tell me? Um, well, yesterday I went to Walgreens and I went to get my bivalent COVID booster. And it took an hour and 55 minutes because I was the first <laughs> is this person. The third? This is the third because I'm, I'm, I'm in line for this too. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. I, I'm all boosted, but I want to get my, you want to get the fourth. new one. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I don't walk care. In, give me, give me it all. Give me it all. I, right. And I walk into Walgreens and they're like, <laughs> Hey, your insurance is kicking it back. And we want to investigate this. And because I work in the world of human resources, I'm like, yeah, you've never had anybody walk in with Anthem coverage. Let's get to the bottom of this, right? Like we're going to do this world of service for all these Anthem people who are going to walk in behind me, right? And it turns out that most insurance companies have not updated their formularies. Now, only I would understand this because I've worked in HR and the pharmacy guy, but nobody else does, right? And other people are getting rejected and they had to ring us all up as uninsured. But I was able then to go online and to tell Anthem, hey, your formulary isn't updated and your patch coming out on Friday isn't going to come out soon enough. And they're like, oh, please email us. We're going to try to get it out faster. Right. So like all of this HR stuff is happening. And my husband's like, only you would find this. <laughs> only you. <laughs> the software patch, the SaaS <laughs> protocols, you know, only you would stick it out. Most people would walk out of there, but only you would fight to get that COVID injection. <laughs> But it was like, the. I always say HR sits at the intersection of work, power, politics, and money. And the mm. pharmacist technician looked at me and said, you got to tell your HR person what's going on with your coverage. I'm like, no, oh. <laughs> girl, you don't even know or whatever. Right. Uh. So, I mean, it was really a moment where all these worlds converged. And I mean, eventually I got my COVID, you know, vaccine. So I'm really happy about that. Wow. So. Yeah. Don't mess with Lori when she's no. uh, you deny her insurance at uh, no, your next Walgreens. We're gonna make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a great story. Well, Lori, it's always a, it's a joy to talk to you. Finally, but a face to face and not just right. through. You've been a mentor from far, whether you know it or not. Um, but where can other people find and learn more? All that is Lori, and kind of um, you know, yeah, just keep on learning from you. Where where can people find you? Well, uh, because I have a ridiculously long last name, I just tell people to go to punkrockhr.com and they can fall into the yes. ecosystem, see the book, yes. all of that. But, you know, I'm also, at least a couple of years ago, I was ranking pretty high on the Google search for I hate HR. <laughs> I tested that lately. No. But oh, no. <laughs> that's one way to find me, definitely. <laughs> so. Only I, again, only I can hate HR, not other people. So, you know, Alex, it was a real joy and a privilege to get to hang out with you. And thanks for the opportunity. Hey, gang. All right. Wow. You made it to the end. I know your time is valuable. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly to tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right. See you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human. <laughs>